You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. I don't know what space exploration will uncover, but I don't think it'll be exploration just for the sake of exploration. I think it'll be more the fact that it allows us to see things that maybe we should have seen a long time ago, but just haven't been able to until now. Does anyone have anything else? Yeah. Neil, I was sorry to hear about your daughter. I'm sorry, is there a question? Um, what, I, what I mean is, uh, do you think it will have an effect? I think it would be unreasonable to assume that it wouldn't have some effect. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. Well, not so local today as we're coming from the moon. It's a little bit cramped here in the Lem. Uh, It's not quite as roomy as I thought it was going to be, John. Um, (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Did you hear the one about the restaurant on the moon? No, I didn't. No? Oh, the food was great, but there was no atmosphere. Mm. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be that kind of show, folks. No, we're just <laughs> kidding. Uh, where you will be talking about, as I'm sure you can tell, um, as when this is coming out, First Man, Damien Chazelle's third film to be released. Um, you know, not a bad lineup when you think about it. Whiplash, La La Land, and then First Man. So, I mean, yeah. if you're going to make three movies in a row... For your first films, eh, this is pretty good. Yeah, and I think thematically those all go together in a nice way. They're all about pushing people beyond their comfort mm-hmm. zones. They're all about challenges to the people who are the, uh, the the primary characters there. And of course, big change um, that that our lead <laughs> goes from La La Land to the moon. So. Um, Wow, yeah. 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 I mean, maybe he got between the moon and New York City, at, you know, <laughs> yeah. at one point or another. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it is kind of fantastic and interesting to see, you know, Ryan Gosling do mm-hmm. that and then this. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, it, you know, with Damien Chazelle, you do have that sense of, like, these are three movies about people pushing themselves to be the greatest at whatever it is that they do, mm-hmm. you know, Um because we see that in La La Land with both of the characters. Yeah. Uh, and we see that, obviously, in Whiplash. And then it, with here, with Neil. Uh, so, it is, yeah, it's fantastic. So but before we just get completely off track and I forget to mention everything, <laughs> I just want to say thanks for listening to the 602 Club. Find us over all, all over where you get your podcasts. I mean, we're everywhere. But uh, hit us up with a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find all the shows here at Trek FM at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. Um, it is a great place to find us. And uh, again, 
over there, you know, that's still where a majority of people get their podcasts. So uh, if you happen to be over on Apple Podcasts on your phone or Apple TV, iPad, any of those places, um, go over there, give the 602 Club a star rating and review. It really does help people find the show. You can also find us on Twitter, TrekFM, Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. You can find the listeners-only discussion group, which is also on Facebook. That allows you to discuss with listeners from all over the world what we're doing here on TrekFM, all of the different shows, including the 602 Club. It's called the Babel Conference. You will find that on Facebook by typing Babel into the search field there, or you can always go to the website at trek.fm. It's a great place to visit. You can see all the show pages and everything, and on each one of those show pages, you will see a little button that says Discussion. Hit that, and that will let you over there. And then last but not least, while you're over on the website, hit us up with uh, an email. Go over to trek.fm slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club, and that sends an email to me and any host that week. Love getting emails. So if there's anything that you want to talk about that we talked about here in the 602 Club, that is a great place to do it. So... John, we were mentioning uh, just on the other side of the bar, which again in the Lem is really tiny, mm, um, so small. And yeah, I'm although I do enjoy drinking, you know, liquid bubbles of alcohol. That's kind of fun. So, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. How much more is fun uh, than that? That this movie is, I think, quite different than you might expect. I mean, if you come in to this film kind of expecting. Uh, you know, The Right Stuff or Apollo 13 or something like that, you may be slightly shocked because this movie is much more about the man behind the spacesuit. Um, it, it, it is, though, though I'll say that uh, my first reaction watching this was that it is the perfect companion piece to The Right Stuff. In fact, I wanted to go yeah. back and rewatch the right stuff. Just you know, the opening of Neil, Neil Armstrong in the X-15 made me immediately think of the opening of the right stuff with Chuck Yeager in the um, oh, and I'm blanking on the name of that beautiful, very Flash Gordon-looking ship that broke the sound barrier. But <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm picturing gorgeous. it right now too. I just don't remember the designation. Gorgeous, gorgeous, and, and that was a movie that. Um, I told a, a bit bigger scope because you, you had the seven Mercury astronauts and you had the Chuck Yeager story kind of going on concurrently with that. Um, and you were telling the story of the space program. Um, and it was a longer movie, too. I think it was about three and a half hours when, when it finally clocked in. Um, and it's a great book, by the way. And it's well. a great book Tom by Tom Wolfe. Wolf. It's fantastic. Um, but you got this sense of the personalities. You know, uh, mm-hmm. John Glenn could not be more different from Gus Grissom or Alan Shepard or the other guys who are in the uh, in that original seven. So you got a sense of them as people and you got a little bit of a sense of the toll that it took on their family is what they're doing. So so that stuff, I think these movies actually mesh together pretty well. Tonally, they're very different and the the focus is very different in these two movies. So um Cut from different cloth, but put them together, and uh, and you have a stunning outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, it's funny because I remember reading the right stuff. I actually have a first edition copy of that book, mm. um, 
and just loving it and then of course seeing the movie and I've always been so much of a somewhat of a space nerd anyway I, I've always enjoyed that stuff and I mean obviously I'm into Star Trek and Star Wars too so it's like you know the real space was just as exciting to me as you know the fake space and mm -hmm. this film going in I didn't honestly know what to expect because I hadn't seen anything but the trailers but you know getting to know the man behind the legend you know the man behind the spacesuit and and really getting to see we, we see this movie from neil's point of view and it's also a very personal point of view because you know we start with that uh that test flight where he almost dies almost bounces out of the atmosphere mm -hmm. and then of course the next scene that we see really is his daughter struggling with cancer and then dying and that leads to the rest of the movie and in many ways i feel like they are almost uh, working through how does a, this man maybe deal with his grief and and some of those kind of things and so i think it's fantastic to really get a sense of the other side of who neil armstrong was and kind of to try and give us a psychology of the character, uh, you know, and, and who he, he, he might have been. And, you know, I have to say, too, the book that this is based off of, uh, the author spent quite a while trying to get Neil to do this. And when Neil finally said yes, he spent copious amounts of hours and years with him, as well as also doing research with other members of his family. Uh, so what this is based off of is really based off a book that comes straight as close as you would get to Neil writing an autobiography. Um, and yet, you know, the author said too, Neil never asked him to change anything, any mm -hmm. of his conclusions, any of his assumptions that he made based on all those interviews. So it, it really speaks as a, as a work of art there, but I think it transcends really well to the screen for me to get behind this guy's, uh, you know, public persona. Well, I think what you're describing here is is really important because it addresses something that is really not important. And <laughs> let me clarify. Um, before this movie came out, when early audiences had seen it, I think we're all aware that there was a, a bit of manufactured online outrage about uh, the lack of a shot in this movie of the American flag being planted into the moon's surface. Um, I say it was manufactured because, honestly, uh, look, you have to take everything online with a grain of salt. This isn't yes. really a conversation <laughs> that uh, that I was having with any uh, people I know in real life, but I would see it pop up every now and then. But I think what's important about what you're describing here is, is that, first of all, it is presumption of the first order to assume that I can tell a filmmaker exactly what shots they need to have in their film. Uh, but, but second of all, it entirely misses the point of what this movie sets out to do. And what you just so eloquently described is that this movie is as close to getting into the head of Neil Armstrong as you can possibly get. There are plenty of moments in this movie where you tie in the bigger picture. The fact that, that there were political motivations to what was going on, that we were in this... Uh, the, the space race with the Soviets. Um, there is no question that all of this was happening. There is no question that there was concern and outrage in the U.S. 
about whether or not this was even a good idea to go to the moon. So all of that is there. But it's simply there as a backdrop to help serve the historic story that really lets you get into the heads of the people who were there doing the hard work. Because at the end of the day, Neil Armstrong was a guy who had to tune all of that out and focus on the job. And at the same time, try to have some semblance of a family life, and, and we, we see the difficulties of that. And I came out of there, uh, out of the theater, thinking, wow, you know, this is a guy who, for all the influences in his life, the, the era into which he was born, the type of upbringing he had, the, uh, the, the family life he created and cut out for himself, uh, all of this stuff led up to a guy who's very hard to pin down because he's not particularly emotive or expressive with his feelings. So you're just sort of trying to figure it out in the way that the other people around him are trying to figure him out too. You know, it's... Uh, it's sort of a heartbreaking but really believable moment when um, Ed White, uh, his friend who was uh, one of the astronauts killed in the Apollo 1 accident, uh, comes up to Neil after the, the funeral for a, a friend of theirs, another pilot, in the backyard and says, hey, you know, Neil, you, you just come in and talk. Let, let's talk. And Neil says, do you think I would be here if I wanted to talk to anybody? You know, and, and it's just, it's really cutting. It's really, um, it's really impersonal, but it sort of helps you to get into the mindset of, of who he was and where he was, where, where his head was during all of this. Because you and I can sit here and watch the difficulty of being a test pilot. You and I cannot in any way actually uh, uh, know what that's like. You know, we, we can intellectualize it, but, uh, but, but we're not cut from that cloth, the guys who actually did it. This is a movie that, that helps you get into that, that headspace as much as you possibly can. Well, that's the thing I think I really enjoyed about the movie was this kind of intimate, um, it, it's very much a portrait of a man. Mm -hmm. And his journey to the moon. Mm -hmm. And what leads him to do this? I mean, you know, in some ways, like you said, how how do we try to understand these men and what they did with the risks that they had to take, uh, the tolls that it took on them and their families and everything? And we do get a sense of, of you know, what drives Neil Armstrong. He obviously wants to be the best, but then there seems to be some other things that drive him too. You know, his answer that he gives on why uh, he thinks it's important to go to space, um, which, uh, by the way, in the is actually in the book uh, in its full entirety, um, and it actually comes from the interview he gave to Time Magazine, and so they use it there um, as a way to get it in to kind of give you a picture of who this guy is and what's driving him, and so you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, it's not just the tragedy of his daughter, but it's all the tragedies that happen around him with men that he was very close to, you know, and that were his best friends. And, you know, you see the difficulty for Neil of opening up to people. And then there's that moment where, you know, he does start to open up to Ed mm -hmm. on the street. He, he talks about his daughter with her, him for the first time. 
And then I think it may be the next scene we see is is Ed getting in with those Apollo 1 astronauts and then dying. Yeah. And you see the toll that this takes on him, you know, that people it, it's it's in many ways, you know, it's it's that story of um you know, you see it play out in in uh, the shows like Band of Brothers or or uh, war movies where the men get to a point where they they've lost so many friends that they want to stop making friends. Yeah. And so you see that difficulty um at, and that, that this was a a tumultuous impossible task. This was an impossible mission. Uh, yeah. and yeah. so uh that they, you know, that Kennedy had given us. <laughs> um and that's that's amazing that these men would would and and uh, and let's not forget the the women involved in well we saw that in hidden figures we saw that story play out you know there's so much happening behind the scenes to make this happen that would also then go on to impact the what we use in our daily lives now every single day because of this but these these people behind the scenes were were everyday people who did extraordinary things and it you know it had a psychological impact on them and that's what i think this movie is trying to get at is that that um the psychology of what it takes to do something like this and, and that's the thing i i think you need a movie like this because most of the time when we think about astronauts and the, the, these heroes who do these extraordinary things, um, we're painting with a very broad brush. Um, e even in the right stuff, which, uh, like I said, it at least gives you some differences in the personalities of those guys. This is like, you know, the, this masterclass in the, in this psychology of this one particular person. So, it doesn't take away from the the heroic group effort that nearly half a million people were involved in in making this extraordinary thing happen. It doesn't detract from that at all, but it does narrow the focus so you can really get inside of the head of this one person and try to understand what drives it. First of all, what prepares somebody to be able to do this at all anyway, and then what what drives them to actually get there and what impact in the real world does it have on them um so I, and i think they accomplished that really uh in spades throughout i think this is also one of the reasons too why so many of the other roles in the movie seem smaller because the movie is really about neil so you know claire foy's role as his wife Janet may seem smaller, but the point of all of these characters that they are revolving around Neil, and it's almost as if this is how Neil sees them, you know. So we don't we don't spend as much time with the other characters, and I, I think the one we probably spend the most time with is Janet and her, um, you know, uh, struggle through this, you know, with with her husband. And the frustration of living with a man who's not particularly loquacious about anything that he feels whatsoever, um, and the trying to keep the the family together, the loss, you know, the the struggle for her for the loss of the daughter. I mean, you know, there's there's so much going on there, but you know, I think you know anybody who might complain about in some ways that the other roles in this film, especially hers, aren't big enough or given enough time. Again, I think this movie is is very much more about him you know mm -hmm. we're, we're doing a character study of this man and and the portrait of who he is and therefore 
the other characters shouldn't really be given more time because it takes away then from the study of who we're studying. Well, yeah, and that's why uh, this, again, thematically, I think, compares to the previous two films by the director, which is, you know, in Whiplash, you're kind of given this question, can this kid achieve greatness if he isn't really torn down by this horrifically abusive teacher? But was it, at least in some way, this pushing him beyond his own comfort zone, what made him great? In La La Land, you have these characters who at the end of the movie, you're posed with this question, could they have achieved these things that they wanted to achieve without the heartbreak that came along with their relationship? And in First Man, now you have this this psychological question of, could he have achieved what he have achieved? Could he be the guy that he was without these other kind of, you know, I, I don't want to say problems, but but these questionable things about his personality, being being closed off to his family, being unable to express certain things. Because you contrast that with him being in that Gemini capsule and being able to steer them back from certain death. 10,000 other pilots might have died trying to do that, but Neil Armstrong is the guy who didn't because he had the the skill and the mindset to be able to focus on that problem and get them out of it. Um, so I, I like that that these three movies pose these challenges to us about what it takes to actually grow beyond who we are. I think that's how uh, how they're linked. Well, and I think, you know, on top of that, what we see throughout all three of these movies is that adversity... And bad things happening don't necessarily have to be bad in the long run when we think about them. You know, the loss of a relationship, um, the, uh, you know, in Whiplash, the being tormented by a, a professor like that. Um, even even the way in which that, you know, the, the loss of his daughter drives Neil in some way to do this, that there is a sense to which everything can be seen in a different light if we give it a different perspective, and that's something that plays into the rest of the movie as well. And I think, so that's a really, that's really important to see how, you know, look, these heroes in our lives, you know, they have problems and horrible things happen to them, and how they deal with those things makes them who they are, and we each have choices to make that make us who we are and how we deal with the adversity in our lives is usually the key uh, that that separates those who become successful mm-hmm. and those who don't. And you you never see Neil and you never see any of these characters in, in Damien Chazelle's movies, um, I think, really um, using a lot of excuses for why they weren't the best. So I think that's a really important thing. You know, it's a really nice thing to see that. I do want to say one thing, and you mentioned the the controversy, which is ridiculous, mm-hmm. um, it, because th- it's not like we don't see the flag there on. Th- there's a shot of the lem. There's a shot of the moon with the flag there. So it's not like it's not there. They just don't show them planting the flag. But it's not. They didn't take it out. 
So, I mean, there's, there's, uh, again, the point of uh, the, the big scene for him on the moon is, again, a very personal, intimate one. Yeah. Where he's brought his daughter's bracelet. Oh, spoiler. Yes. <laughs> and he's left it on the moon. Yeah. In a crater. And that's the moment to him that means the most in this experience of being on the moon that he has had, you know, in some ways, his daughter and that loss transcends. Mm-hmm. space and time almost yeah and and it's almost as if he can like if he can leave that there then maybe he can leave behind a little bit more of the pain and come home maybe a little bit more whole and so it's a nice it's a gorgeous scene too so. yeah yeah it, it really humanizes him uh not, not that he was inhuman before but you see these struggles with his family so there it's like a bit of redemption there that that at the end you see that his family and his daughter in particular in that moment is such a motivation for him mm-hmm. uh, that that he he isn't just a robot carrying out the tasks that he's been assigned that that there yeah. is some heart that he has in this whole thing um it would take away from that if then you had cut 20 seconds before to have the music swell and see this shot of the flag going into the ground. It, again, it, it's presumptuous for, for anybody to assume that they need to tell the director or the actor or the writer how to make their movie. They told the movie the way that they needed to tell the movie, the way that they needed to tell the story, you know, um, right. and, and succeeded wildly in that. Well, and, and giving it, you know, the, the emotion, Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is not a man who is known for his his emotional displays. Yeah, and you know, we we see one of them. You know, after um, his daughter has died, where he breaks down in. Uh, oh no, that's his friend. But we we see where he breaks down in his office. You know, mm-hmm. crying, mm-hmm. and it's one of the few times you really see such emotion, and you get that feeling. You know that. That emotion has been carried with him, and he's he is carrying his family with him, not just his daughter, but his wife and his sons, and and all of this means something to him um, to do this, and it and and it is something that plays out into the an, another part of the film of why he's going to the moon. Um, before we get to that, I wanted to talk because I thought it was interesting. You know, the movie does show us the insanity of the space race you know, going to the moon, what it takes, the cost, um, and just the fact that in in so many ways this is creating stuff out of nothing (laughs) to figure out how to do this because getting somebody into space is totally different than going all the way to the moon and back. Yeah, Yeah. going to the moon and landing there and, and exploring it and getting back in a ship and coming back successfully, um, it's a miracle that it ever happened, and it's a miracle that, you know, I, I say only, but it, it's still tragic that uh, Gris, uh, Grissom, Chaffee, and White died in uh, Apollo 1. But it, it's kind of amazing that after that, those Apollo missions went off uh, as cleanly as they did. Not without incident. Of course, we've all seen Apollo 13 and uh, uh, hopefully read the book Lost Moon, and we know that story. Uh, They all had difficulties. They all had challenges. But it's kind of amazing that they worked out and worked out in a pretty short time period. I was glad that they, uh, uh, after 
the uh, Gemini mission, uh, Gemini 8 mishap, and after the, uh, the fire on Apollo 1, we still got back up and got running again pretty quickly, even after congressional inquiries, even after uh, a public outcry, rightfully so, that there was an outcry, there was a, a demand to investigate what was happening. Um, pretty shocking when you think about how slowly it feels like things move today, um, that it's hard to get any sort of big project off the ground, get anything passed with agreement, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, it's... Uh, it was cool to see that, and it, and it was. Uh, I felt like anything in this movie that that was political was appropriate for the time. I love that we see the guy in Mission Control. Uh, what what does he say to like get the Soviet Union on the phone and tell him to suck it or <laughs> something along those yeah, lines? Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, because yeah, that that's a genuine feeling of that guy in that moment. I mean. Absolutely, and it, it it ties into the 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 drive that was a political motivation that was also internalized and made personal by these people who worked on it. Uh, but then I, I love that we see the people protesting this, and and that uh, that poem from the time, the the kind of jazz beat poem, "Whitey on the Moon," that was a real thing, and I think the sentiment is uh, a legitimate one. You know, how do we justify spending billions and billions of dollars to do this thing when you've got people living on streets and unable to get health care? Uh, you know, I, I fully agree with the idea that we went to the moon, but I also need to reconcile that with the idea that there are people who suffered because of it, you know, and, and to this day that we, we pick and choose how we spend our money uh, through our elected officials and very often those decisions leave people out. So I'm glad that all of this was addressed in the movie. I'm glad all of it created this rich and complex background to challenge us about what we were seeing. And, and, and like you say, the insanity of it, just the, the, so many hands involved in making this happen, and so many of them with different stakes in all of it. I mean, it's just incredible to think that you have more, and I think it's even that you had more computing power in your pocket with the iPhone 1 yeah, than all of NASA at the time period of sending somebody to the moon. Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. the, you know, the idea that we're sending people up in, you know, tinfoil cans. Right. Uh, into, into space. It's just, an, and it's astonishing to see what... What what's astonishing in this is is to see what we are capable of when we put our minds to something. It, it's so again the word visceral keeps getting used to describe mm -hmm. this movie. It's so real and visceral. You see these guys in a capsule, and and we we all kind of know what it looks like. You know, toggle switches and you know big backlight buttons and all this stuff. But there's something that I love about this movie that that up until the point that we arrive at the moon, there's nothing precious about the camera work or the direction anywhere. Um, there's maybe one really glorious shot that I love, which is the, the, the flyby overhead of that uh, Saturn rocket that, that is really a stunning, 
you know, something you could really only do today with the, the level of precision uh, that they have in that shot. But so much else, everything that was shot on Earth, shot on film, some of it actually shot 16 millimeter. And you can see there's a lot of film grain and they went to great lengths to get the exact same uh, lighting that they would have had back then. So, you know, that shot of the astronauts walking out of the, uh, the, the prep room toward the, the Saturn rocket and they're sort of waving, they're carrying their oxygen packs and, and photographers shooting pictures. It looked like a shot out of Life magazine from that time, just so perfectly accurately reproduced that it makes you feel like you're there in a way that that some other historic recreation movies don't, um, where you feel like you're watching a movie about a particular time and you can tell that it was made in the time that that movie was made, <laughs> you know? But, but this, really, everything up until we get to the moon, because there's a big shift when we get to the moon, that everything up until that point, it just feels like you're there. You're there in the capsule with them. You're, you're there in those, uh, uh, like in the quarantine rooms. You're, you're there while they're getting suited up in their spacesuits. There's just a, a tactile, visceral feel to everything, every shot in this movie. Yeah, I love that that visceral experience. You know, uh, the fact that when we are, you know, shooting in those rockets, whether it's Gemini or the Saturn rocket, it is this uh, claustrophobic, shaking experience. It, it, it's as close as you would get to be unless you were, I guess, in a um, VR experience to what it's like to be in and, and, and you get the sense like like you said there's nothing precious about this stuff and and as the rocket is shaking you feel how tenuous life is you're you know there's you know millimeters or mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe an inch at most if, i mean no there's really not it just <laughs> it, there's there's so little between you and what's happening on the outside um and and you feel that for these guys and it is you know incredible and then you have those moments when they are in the capsule especially when they're doing the gemini mission mm -hmm. and they're docking and everything and everything goes well for a while and there's this joy that they're having of the experience of seeing the earth and like being able to find you know um the other part of the capsule they're supposed to dock with and everything and then there's that awful moment when everything starts to go wrong again and they're just spinning and spinning and spinning and you're like i would have died you're yeah. like, you mean you know and and again i think that this this experience that Chazelle lets us have of almost deglamorizing going to the moon to show us what it was really like from the psychological experience of neil armstrong to just the experience of what it's like to be in a capsule like that as you're hurtling, you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of miles at, at speed, you know, up into the air, hoping you don't blow up or something goes wrong, you know, I just it's an incredibly effective experience he allows us to have, and part of that I think is because 
the way the whole movie has been made is to be like a documentary yeah. and as stripped down as possible so that when we're in those scenes, we still feel that. And like you said, there is that moment where it shifts when you get to the moon, but it's almost like it should shift because mm -hmm. now the glory of what we've done is fully revealed. Yeah. And, 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 and he allows you as the audience member then to kind of revel in being on the moon with these guys like the that we made it we did it you know hey mm -hmm. look mom i made it to the moon you know like <laughs> right, there is that right. experience almost and in fact you get to see you know buzz aldrin you know bouncing yeah. around and it's like the joy that it would be to be you're the only person in in all of human existence who's been on another celestial body yeah yeah. That's an incredible experience you get to have with them. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty shocking. And and like you said, you know, putting all of their trust into this, at the time, advance, but from our perspective 50 years later, uh, not that advanced technology. <laughs> you know, there, there was a great video. I, I can't remember who made it, but there was a great video going around made by uh, a filmmaker and effects artist who... who basically outlines the technology that it took to get to the moon versus the technology it would have taken to fake getting to the moon. And he says, look, in 1968, we didn't have the technology to fake getting to the moon. We had to send these guys up there because it was the only way to do that. You know, you had to send these guys. And this movie, it has this, uh, to, to the point of that video, which I'll have to share with you sometime, um, it's just a very mechanical feel, you know. They're they're using technology that we look at today as like, oh wow, could I actually trust something that doesn't have, you know, a, a computer chip in it that's any bigger than my iPhone? I, you know, you just can't even wrap your head around that as a possibility. And yet they did it and and succeeded beautifully. Just thinking about that idea too, you know, when we're talking about the space race and and what these people experience you know the idea of then what they created you know so many nasa inventions because of the space race actually impact the entire rest of the world in such a positive way because it leapfrogs our technology by by an incredible amount in those 10 years just because we're so dedicated on this and the byproduct of it was something that, yes, people were protesting all the money that we were spending, but at the same time, the benefit to the rest of the world, not just the U.S., but the rest of the world because of those advances, it changes our planet forever mm -hmm. in good ways, you know, yeah. um, because of the the technological advances that they were able to make with computing, with all of those things um, that make the lives that we have today, and you can directly trace them back to the fact that they pour m millions of dollars into research and study of how to do this, and that directly leads to, you know, the thing that is in your pocket every day, you know? Yeah. Um, whether or not that that's a great thing that we just have a thing that just, you know, keeps us in our phones all the time now is a totally different story. But, you know, that is one of the byproducts of, of this uh, is the technology we take for granted now every single day. 
Uh, well, it's amazing what we can accomplish in a uh, collaborative and cooperative environment when we when we actually focus resources on a big thing. You know, you, you hear the term Manhattan Project, uh, of course, for the nuclear bomb, but you hear the idea of, like, do we need to have a Manhattan Project for, say, cancer? Something like that, where, where there is just a concerted effort, cooperative effort with nearly unlimited resources to say, we're going to tackle this one thing. Or, or if it's climate change or whatever, how do we get on the same page where we say, all right, this is something we all care about. This is something we will dedicate our resources to. This will have a lasting impact on not just a country or a people, but everybody. And the, uh, the, the Apollo moon missions were certainly a good example of that, um, where like I said, nearly a half a million people worked on this thing, but the repercussions and and the the technologies that were developed, um, even I, I hope the uh, the sort of uh, poetic windfall that we get from that hasn't been entirely lost. I feel like we have in some respects, but uh, I know that this is something that that really resonated with you as it did with me. When you hear Neil Armstrong in the movie articulate why, why we're doing this, um, and then you see it rather than just hear it from the perspective on the moon looking back at Earth, um, it, it, it's sort of one of those things that you wish that everybody on this planet had the opportunity to experience in that visceral, personal way to be able to look back at the Earth and go, oh yeah, that. That, that's ours, and that's all we've got. So we'd better care. Yeah, I think, you know, I loved his, his whole conversation about perspective and, and that why he would want to go to space and why he thought it was important was to be able to see things differently, to literally see things from a whole new perspective, that it's so easy to get mired in what's going on here and through the day-to-day, um, and... In many ways, you know, it, it completely it just jogged in my memory the whole thing of Cooper from Interstellar talking about, you know, we used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars, and now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to me, it's we look at our place in our phones, you know, like there is this loss of perspective because we have lost the... We have lost, I think, what NASA gave us, which was the the greater purpose for um, exploring our universe, something that that was bigger than ourselves, that gave us a a meaning beyond just, well, what are you going to eat tonight? You know, what Mm -hmm. am I going to wear tomorrow? What am I going to buy on Saturday when I get to go to the mall? You know, like all of these things that that become so temporal and transitory that actually mean nothing you know these are things that mean something because they benefit all of us because we're we're not focused on me we're focused on us and the this this idea of perspective i think is so key to this film and even you know i love ed white he's talking to um neil and he's talking about how it's impacted his children's perspective and their desires what they want to do because of this idea of going to the moon. 
Um, and we see that impact on the larger world. How this may be, I don't know. I didn't look this up, and I should have, but this could possibly be the biggest, most watched event around the world uh, because of what it meant. It wasn't just that the United States went to the moon. It was that man had gone to the moon, Mm -hmm. and we had done something that, um, you know, uh, we still have not eclipsed. With all of our technology... We still have not eclipsed going to the moon, which is actually kind of sad when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I, you, you'd think that we're due. I would like to see us go back to the moon um, probably even before we uh, attempt more exploration of Mars uh, because the moon seems like a good way station. It's close enough that you can actually take people out of danger if there is some, uh, and it, it's good to lay that groundwork before we uh, uh, go out further, I think. Well, but, I mean, it's a... It's it's something we still really haven't explored all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it it's right there. <laughs> um, I, I I won't read the whole thing, but there's uh, for for people who haven't read it, uh, Carl Sagan's uh, uh, Pale Blue Dot is what this is called, and there, there's a much longer version of it. But there, there's a little. It's the first paragraph of it that I think really speaks to what you're talking about, Matt. Uh, So for those of you who haven't heard it, indulge me for a second here. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. I, I just, I love... I love the way that Carl Sagan would express science as poetry anyway, but I, I think that so perfectly captures that feeling that that handful of guys must have had when they stood on the moon and turned around and looked and saw that suddenly their home is a thing you could, you could hold up your fingers in the sky, well, no sky on the moon, <laughs> hold up your fingers in front of you, and and just sort of frame it there between your thumb and your forefinger. Say, yeah, everything, everything that has ever happened in the history of, of this human species is there. And there's nothing there to protect it. There's nothing there to save it. That's it. It's funny you read that because it was making me think um, I've been actually reading... Uh... First man and and the quote from um, the Time magazine article is in here, and he says, and I really loved this. He says, hopefully by getting a little further away, both in the real sense and the figurative sense, we'll be able to make some people step back and reconsider their mission in the universe. To think of ourselves as a group of people who constitute the crew of a spaceship going through the universe. If you're going to run a spaceship, you're going to be pretty cautious about how you use your resources, how you use your crew, and how you treat your spacecraft. And the idea that, you know, for him, the the thought that, you know, Earth is a spacecraft. Mm-hmm. It is what we, mm-hmm. we hurtle through the universe on it every single year around the sun. 
and how we deal with the resources that we have been given. And, and this is what I think, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, Neil Armstrong seems to be trying to get at with what he's talking about with the idea of perspective. Yeah. Is that we are stewards of the planet we've been given that we live on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that I really love about, um, for me personally, the, the biblical story of creation and that we've been given this planet by God and we are to take care of it. We're not here to exploit it. We're here to take care of it. Sure, sure. And that's what it means yeah. to be a steward. And and that, I yeah. think there's a beautiful idea in that. And I think, you know, Neil's idea of perspective um, is so important because it does become hard to see that when we are wasting our lives in things that don't really matter. And um, when you think about it, in the long run, your social media account's not going to matter, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but how you helped a person mm-hmm. uh, in life will matter. And and that's this this whole point. I think it's it's really is a, just a beautiful thing that this movie, I think, does a good job of, of helping us see that there are things that we could do and we could be doing in our world um, to better ourselves as human beings, you know? And, and one of the things I miss about you know, us pouring money into something like NASA and exploring the universe together is we, yes, there was this idea, are we spending the money on the right thing? But honestly, I think it's better to spend money exploring the world around us and the universe around us than throwing away money on things that truly don't matter, which we see our government do all the time. So Mm -hmm. I'd rather see an allocation of resources, which again, as we, we mentioned you know, when you think about the perspective, yes, it seems like an extraordinarily ridiculous waste of money to go to the moon. But what we got out of going to the moon um, has benefited us for generations. And yeah. we are, unfortunately, we're not we're not technologically advancing in a way that truly benefits us. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I, I'm I'm on a soapbox, and I apologize. No, but, but th- th- you see what I'm saying, though. though? But I mean, it, this is the thing. Cool, I, this movie made me is I've been thinking about it for like two days now. Yeah, but isn't this cool that that this movie that is uh, a biography of Neil Armstrong is told in such a way that you and I both come out of there with our minds kind of blown and 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 having your perspective shaken up again. Not not that we wouldn't think of these things anyway. Not that we wouldn't sort of pause in our lives and say, oh, wait, what are we doing with our limited resources? Oh, wait, how are we treating the other people around us? Because this is all we've got, literally. You know, it, it's nice that a movie can accomplish so much. Tell this deeply personal story, but tell it in a way that you feel it, that you get the reason for the mission, you get the motivations of of not just him, but the people around him. You know, the, this is truly a mark of great art that uh, that you and I would get to have this conversation after the fact. You know, the, the movie could have succeeded simply as a by-the-numbers retelling of Man Landing on the Moon. I would go see that anyway if it were just a documentary because at the very least with today's filmmaking technology and the the attention paid in this movie, that would be a thrilling thing. But what we got coming out of it was a personal connection 
and also some sort of uh, a, a, a bit of philosophical mind jogging here as well. You know, a bit of per- perceptual uh, uh, something to consider. Well, I think that you know the the looking at Neil Armstrong's life and why he would do this is in some ways this mission gives him purpose and it gave us purpose beyond ourselves into something that was greater than ourselves. And and that idea, I think, is very strong and awesome. And, and yeah, there are political motivations behind it. Obviously, we know that. But, but that, that this mission, especially once it was completed and we had walked on the moon, it, it began to transcend all of those reasons and mean so much more. And so... I think, you know, the idea of perspective leads us to the idea of mission and what is our mission? What is our purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. And shouldn't it be more? And, uh, you know, I think that is something that you saw, um, you know, and the reason that I, you know, I don't resonate with every single thing in Star Trek, but mm-hmm. I think that is an idea that Star Trek picks up yep. and uses very deeply that we do have a mission and a purpose beyond just almost this temporal thing, you know, these temporal things, that it should be something that uh, wouldn't it be better if we were using our resources and our time uh, to benefit the next generation, our generation, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, generations to come, Mm -hmm. you know, by making ourselves better instead of getting lost in the now. And I think there's a a beauty in that. And I, I love that this movie resonates with those ideas and and brings them back into focus and hopefully people will see that when they watch the film and, and maybe it I don't know maybe some somehow some way uh, and if enough people start to get that sense um, not just feeling but that it, it's it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. you know yeah. like feelings are transient too you know but what is what is better and what is right is 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 something that i would like to see us get back to so yeah well uh, said sir yeah, yeah. so uh, one of the things that i appreciated about the movie and i've been enjoying it has been listening to the soundtrack and um i appreciated how this movie um felt very much like a a, a cross between interstellar and 2001 a space odyssey and it had that feeling very much so and i enjoyed that immensely the fact that when they are docking um you know with the gemini spacecraft uh it felt very much like a ballet piece mm. um this dance in space um the the driving getting to the moon and but uh, it's it's not that driving feeling you got in interstellar where they're trying to dock the station it was more of um i don't know there was there was more beauty to it and 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 less like precariousness to it um i don't know i i'm i'm not good at describing music because i'm not technically musical um, but I just really enjoyed this the way that they utilized music in the film. I thought it was done really well, and I really enjoy the soundtrack. So, yeah, uh, I'll agree with you. I mean, I I think that the the soundtrack very effectively builds tension and mood. Um, I also happen to really like the places where there is no soundtrack. 
because mm, yeah. you, you get back to that very documentary, just very real feeling of the movie. You know, I, I love that um, you open with this very intense test flight of the X-15, but then the very next scene is this little rural home out in the countryside, you know? And, it, and it's just this intimate, uh, not even... Again, like I said, the the uh, shots in this movie, at least up until you get to the moon, nothing is precious, nothing is really special about the way it's shot. So it's not even this sort of idyllic, uh, it's not like a Norman Rockwell painting. It's not like a postcard of America in 1961. It just feels like you're there, like you've just been plopped down in this home somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. I think they lived in Ohio at the time or, or something like that. I might be completely wrong. I'm making that up. But <laughs> um, you're just plopped down in the middle of this place in this personal moment. And, and there is nothing special in the soundscape at that point. Uh, and, and I would go so far as to say that the, uh, the lighting as well plays as big a role as the music or lack of music in that respect um, because a lot of this feels like it was natural light um, rather than anything manufactured for the screen. And it also felt like a lot of what we saw on screen was, uh, was actual location shooting. And, and even if they weren't actual locations, it felt like some of the sets, uh, like some of the houses and all, were, were built as practicals where instead of having flyaway walls where you could bring in a bunch of cameras, it felt like you, you were in normal-sized rooms and then moving with the characters down a normal-sized, say, hallway to a bedroom or an office, something that gave this real sense of immediacy and intimacy to all of it. Um, but I'm sorry, Matt, back to your, <laughs> back to your no, statement. No, 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 I, I just want to say absolutely, because I agree with you. I think what he did was he found the beauty in the everyday. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, but the, the soundtrack, uh, the score, plays a really critical part in that, that, uh, that they know when to leave it out, but then they know when to use it to help heighten your, I'll use that word again, your visceral experience of what's going on, whether it's the terror of something happening in the capsule or that elation when everything that they had planned for actually leads up to that moment that moment of, of getting to the moon. There is a real uh, understanding, I think, of, of, wow, knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them with the music. <laughs> uh, and um, there, there, it's important because there are those times where you want it to be more about um, the soundscape than you mm -hmm. want it to be about the soundtrack yep. of music. And yep. so um, I think they expertly weave all of those things together and like you were saying when it came to the um just the way the music the movie is shot and the use of lighting i i noticed that as well that you were you were very much in a film that it felt as though you were just following these people around and part of that's the camera work with um you know handheld cameras and those kind of things um to give you that immediacy and that feeling of intimacy which is so important uh, with, with the type of story they're trying to tell which is to give us the perspective of neil armstrong 
mm-hmm. and 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 what he experiences and and w- the psychology of what this is like and i think all, everything wraps into that which then brings me to the question for you um first man what would you rate this do you think mm. Mm. um man that that's a really hard question to answer uh because i i immediately put this sort of in that that pantheon of films uh like like well the the right stuff is the obvious one where you're telling the sort of purely american hero story you get a lot of historical detail uh but you're also getting something personal and with this movie very much the personal story um and Damien Chazelle's movies are challenging in ways that other movies aren't because they they really do leave you with these questions about who really are these people and and do they accomplish these things because of who they are or in spite of who they are because of the challenges that were thrown in front of them or in spite of the challenges that were thrown in front of them. Um, So you kind of have to rate it like a Damien Chazelle film kind of have to rate it like this film of heroics and you also get to rate it sort of as a slice of history because there is such attention to detail about the uh, about the history if i wanted to be really nitpicky super nitpicky i would say that i wanted a little bit more time on the moon i understand why they didn't i really do and i might want some of those moon moments to also be more intimate and and quote-unquote real like the scenes on earth because like i said there's this big tonal shift you get to the moon suddenly boom it, it is a movie writ large whereas everything on earth was very small and intimate um so i kind of wanted to see more there i wanted to see where else they could take us in the story by being on the moon so I'm going to give this 4.75 Saturn V rockets. And that that would be out of 5 then I That think. would be out of 5. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think if I if I had gone into this movie just kind of having a lot of expectations of what it would be, I would probably have maybe have been disappointed because it wasn't giving me the right stuff. It was Ooh. giving me something mm-hmm. very different. Yeah. Um and I, I, I think I, I've been very much. Um, Damien Chazelle has has helped kind of um, format me into somebody who would expect a Damien Chazelle movie, which is to not go in with any expectations other than he's going to do what what he does, and to try and judge it on those terms, and therefore. You know, for me, coming away from this movie, I, I was very affected by it and very much enjoyed it. Um, it is a movie that can be difficult to watch sometimes because you do want Neil to be more open. Uh, you do want this character to be different sometimes. But you can't because it's based on a real person and you don't just get to do whatever you want to do with it. You have to be as true as to that character as you can be. And what I think is is that this movie is 
this movie is a sci- a psychological study of Neil, the side that maybe we haven't seen in other movies, the more quiet side, the, the very reserved man and the man who struggled with his emotions, the man who, 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 you know, I mean, Neil Armstrong does not go on to be a celebrity after this in the sense of what we think of. He, he hates the limelight. That's never why he was doing this. So the question becomes in this film, I think, why would a man do this who is like he is? Who doesn't want to be in the limelight, you know? Whereas you look at Buzz Aldrin, and he very much seems to enjoy that, you know. So there's a there's a complete difference in who these men were, why they were doing this, and this is very much about why he was doing it. And because of that, I very much enjoyed it, and I resonated with the film. I loved the thematic work with the idea of perspective. So to me, this is you know, four and a half out of five moon landings. Um, that other half of moon landing didn't work because, you know, Apollo 13 had to come back. Yeah, so, right, um, right. Yeah, yeah they didn't uh, make Only it. thing um, we're missing here is Buzz Aldrin punching a guy in the face. That's really <laughs> the only thing we're missing out of this movie. Yeah. So I, I agree with you, though. I, I think this movie, if you go see this movie, go um, search out... Uh, the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, go find the book by Tom Wolfe. An incredible. I mean, Tom Wolfe makes you feel like you are in in the middle of that those programs with his writing style. And I'm reading First Man right now, and it's already fantastic. And I'm only like thirty pages in. So um, this is this is I think will hopefully go down as is a film that inspires maybe a new generation to be interested in space travel. Um, and really get us going again. So uh, I loved this movie. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about it. Uh, you know, John, I was actually looking at my Letterbox account, which is where I keep track of all of my movies that I watch and stuff, and I was looking uh-huh. at just the, specifically the movies I've seen in the theaters this year, and the beginning of the year was quite rocky. Um, but I've noticed that it's continually gotten better. Like I've had more movies that are in the four star range oh, good. here good. closer to the end of the year. And so that's been great. Nice. So I'm really excited with some stuff we've got coming up. Make sure you check everything out. Uh, of course, over on iTunes, uh, hit us up with that star rating review for the 602 club. I do want to thank our associate producers here through Patreon. You know, the 602 club is part of the Trek FM network, and it's a huge network. Um, we are covering so much with Star Trek and, of course, beyond here with uh, the 602 Club. So uh, if you want to make sure that all these shows keep coming to you each and every week, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can become part of the team. Every little bit helps a month. We have some great contribution levels you can give at, so you can get some extra things. But honestly, again, like just any bit that you could give every month really does make sure that all the shows of this kind of quality keep coming to you each week. I want to thank our associate producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Daniel Noah, and Ryan Millette, who is our brand new associate producer here. Um, all of these guys our associate producers, because that was one of the things that they decided that they gave a certain level. They wanted to be associate producers here of the 602 Club. So I appreciate them for giving. You can be part of the team. Again, just go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can do that. John, I, I'm so glad that uh, we got to talk about this. You know, it's it's always so fun to, to get together with you, whether we're talking about Bond or something else. Um, your passion for all things, you know, the 60s is is always fun to, to, to be able to have, on, especially on a show like this, because, too, you're a little bit older than I am. And so you have more experience with some of these type of events. 
And so, hey, you know, I, I, I got to say, I mean, it's great. The, the, that's one thing that really uh, I, I, I didn't share before and something that really resonates with me with the Apollo program in particular. Um, my aunt and uncle both worked for the space program in the 60s. Really? Yeah. And oh. my aunt was on the design team that worked on the lunar module. So oh her signature is up on the moon, written on a panel in one of those landers up there. So, that's amazing. Yeah, so that, that's something that's really special to me. And the first launch I ever saw was Apollo Soyuz. Um, so after the moon landings were finished, uh, they sent an Apollo uh, capsule up there on a Saturn rocket to, uh, to dock with a Soviet Soyuz capsule. And one of those early examples of cooperation between nations well before the Iron Curtain came down. And... Um, yeah, so the, that stuff has a special place in my heart, for sure. I, I, I love the uh, the Apollo program. I love those rockets. I mean, if you've ever been near one of those Saturn uh, uh, rockets they have at uh, a couple of the space centers, they've got mock-ups of those. They're just stunning. They, they are truly feats of engineering. Uh, so my, my heart races a bit whenever I see stuff like that. So um, definitely a pleasure to, to talk to you about this. And I'm, I'm glad that our conversation uh, went a little philosophical, but I think that's exactly what this movie calls for. Absolutely. Well, if anybody wants to maybe catch up with you on social media, talk to you about that or anything else you've got going on, heck, I mean, gosh, do you have any, if you have any pictures too, we'd love <laughs> to see those on, on, on Instagram or, or uh, you know, on Twitter of, of uh, any of your family who worked at NASA. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I, I actually should look that up. I know there's some pictures around. I, I should ask. Uh, yeah. You can find me, well, primarily on Twitter and, uh, and Facebook. I'm there uh, on behalf of Mission Log Podcast. So Mission Log Pod at Twitter and on Facebook. If you're looking for me personally, you want to talk about other stuff, uh, find me on Twitter at DVD Geeks. Find me on uh, Instagram, jchamp72, or Slow Mo Gentleman, where I will slow things down to 120 frames a second. So uh, join me there. I mean, I tell you what, drinking a martini never looked so good. Uh. <laughs> Sounds really good, too. Uh, so maybe when we get this uh, lander mated back up at the service module, I'll have a, have a martini. That would be great. Uh, yeah. You could find me on Twitter uh, as well, MattRushing02, and I'm on Instagram under the same name. Uh, I'm also here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about a space station in space, Deep Space Nine. Uh, so you can find that. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network talking about Harry Potter with Dre Kaufman on Owl Post. We do one chapter a week of the series. Uh, and uh, we are almost finished with The Goblet of Fire right now, so make sure you check out that show. It's a lot of fun. I also do a show called Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills. It is a Star Wars podcast, and each and every week we just dive into something that we've been thinking about in Star Wars, and it's like, you know, it's pretty much just two guys hanging out, almost like at a bar, talking about Star Wars. So join us there. It's a lot of fun. And then last but not least, I do a show that does get a little bit more philosophical, and that's called Cinema Stories, and I do that with my friend Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith. But we thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs>